Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. And there the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea. The Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. And then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said, And God buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. And Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyes were not weak, and his strength was not gone. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, May your word be spoken this morning. And whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. His eyes were not weak, and his strength was not yet gone. That's not fair. Here I am, just barely past 40 years old, and I can barely make it from my bedroom to the bathroom without the help of prescription lenses. I've been that way for about, uh, well, a long time now, ever since fourth grade. I was in uh, my fourth grade class, came time for math, and the the teacher wrote a problem up on the board, and I raised my hand, and I said, Mrs. Tucker, could you tell me what you just wrote on the board? The glare is a little harsh on your blackboard. I can't really see it all that well. So she told me the problem, and I could write it down in my little notebook. She wrote the next one on the board, and I raised my hand again. and said, Miss Tucker, I'm sorry. Your board, it just, it's so bright. There's something about the glare. I can't see what's there. She read the next one, uh, and then she wrote a third one, and I raised my hand again, and she was starting to get a little exasperated, as if it was my fault, right? Like, as if it was my fault that her board was hard to read, that her chalk was kind of fuzzy and blurry, and that everything on it was just too harsh a glare to read. Finally, after the fourth problem, and the fourth time I raised my hand, she looked at me and she said, Michael, I think you need glasses. And that was very disappointing to me. But it started me on a a long road in which I've always needed these lenses. Uh, I have contact lenses now, but I am hopeless and helpless without them. I am very envious. When I read about Moses, all 120 years of him, climbing up all 3,000 feet of Mount Nebo, all the way to the peak that we call Pisgah. And from there, he is able, by God's grace, to see not just across the River Jordan into the land that he's about to enter, but to see all the land that God is giving Israel. He is able to see a long, long way to see not just the land that is there, but the promise that is in it. If I went to Mount Nebo today, and I went to the top, and I didn't have my contacts in, all I would see is beige, just this vast expanse of it. And thankfully, I have my lenses. I have my contacts. I've got some glasses I wear when I want to look smart. I've got Google image search so that I can, I don't even have to travel there. I can look up high resolution photos from the peak of Mount Nebo. But even with all these advances, I'm not sure that they necessarily help me to see in quite the same way that Moses saw. 
Because I don't just want to see what he saw. I want to see it how he saw it. Because if you read the story of Moses, one of the things you'll soon discover is that he had this lifetime of seeing things a little bit differently than everybody else. Perhaps you know the story about this time that Moses is leading the people of Israel out of Egypt and they, fee- and they see the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army behind them and they see no way out. But Moses stands on the edge of the sea and he is able to see a path of dry land through that sea. And when they get to the other side of the Red Sea, Moses leads them into the wilderness. But when he gets there, all the people around, uh, all the people around Moses, they see misery and they see desolation. And at time and time again, there in the wilderness, Moses is able to see, oh, there's a spring of water hidden in a rock. Moses is able to say, oh, God's way, God's provision, the food we need, it's just around that bend. Moses was able to see abundance in the wilderness. And there's a story that we are told in the book of Exodus about how uh, Moses and the people of Israel saw the same thing, but they saw it differently. We're told that when they came to Mount Sinai, God came upon the mountain in this great cloud, this great thunderstorm, and God came to, to show God's own law to the people of Israel. And God gave an invitation to everyone in the nation of Israel, said, come up the mountain and meet me. But when the people of Israel saw that cloud and saw that mountain, they said, Moses, How about you go for us? That looks like a little bit much for us. And we're told that Moses did go up the mountain. We're told that it was there that he saw God face to face. And when Moses came down, his face was shining so that the people of Israel could barely stand to look at it. He was so full of the glory of God. And we also remember that moment when things were pretty low for Moses. When he was wondering if he was ever going to get to the end point of everything he had been looking for. And so he pleaded with God, could I just see a glimpse of your glory? And we're told that at that moment, God hid Moses behind a rock and said, look as I pass by. And Moses did so, and he he hid and he covered his eyes. But as the full glory of the Lord came rushing by, God gave the word to Moses, open your eyes now. And Moses saw it headed off in the distance fading but still shining in the wilderness, the fullness of the glory of God. And that's what our passage reminds us today when we get to verse 10 of Deuteronomy 34, just past what we read today. It says, no prophet has ever arisen like Moses who saw the Lord face to face. Moses saw things differently than most. Preacher John Wesley was writing about this passage and commenting on how willingly Moses went up that mountain, knowing that he was going to die, that this was it. This was kind of the the last chapter of his story. And John Wesley commenting on all the things that Moses had seen that others had missed throughout his life. He had this to say about it. He said, those who are well acquainted with another world are not afraid to leave this one. Moses had learned to see God all along the way at the Red Sea, in the wilderness, in all these different places, Moses had learned to get a little glimpse of the way to heaven. He had begun to glimpse a different world. And for the last month, we've been encouraging everyone here, I and Woods, as we've been preaching, to, for you to see yourself along a different way, to picture yourself along the path that's, that's under some of your feet, this ancient Christian symbol that we call the prayer labyrinth. As we've talked about the labyrinth, we've talked about why it's a good image of the Christian life, because there are switchbacks in it. <laughs> 
There are moments that bring those who've just begun and those who have been on the path for a long time right beside one another. So nobody's ever alone. So nobody is beyond or behind anybody else, even though we may all be in different places. And we also talked about how these switchbacks have the other effect, which is that sometimes, even when we are making progress towards God, it feels like we're moving further away. We've had those moments in our spiritual lives when God was drawing us nearer, but the old presence that we knew doesn't feel quite so tangible, doesn't feel quite so near, and it doesn't mean that God has abandoned us or even that we are on the wrong path. We've talked about those switchbacks and those moments that uh, St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. But today I want to talk about the good stuff. Today I want to talk about the good things that we see along the way. And I want to talk about the scenic views that we get while we're walking. Because if you try and climb a mountain like Moses, uh, you know that there are going to be times on your way up when all that you can see, and this is most of the time, right? All you can see are the next few steps in front of you. Especially down here, especially in the southeast where our mountains tend to be covered in trees. It can be dark. There's always a turn that's blocking the rest of the view from you. But then there's going to come a moment, several times along the way, when you get to that place where the trees clear out and the clouds part, And you find that one moment along the path where you're able to see there in the distance the peak that you're going toward. Or even better, this is my favorite part of being in the mountains, there'll be the moment when the world seems to open up below you and you feel as if you're in a different world because of everything you see stretched out below. You aren't there yet. You haven't reached your destination. But it's those moments where you see where you're going or you glimpse that different world that keep you going and make those next few steps. It's the same way in the labyrinth. If you've tried tracing it, if you've ever tried to walk this one, you know that soon after you start on the labyrinth, there's gonna be a moment when you are brought right by the center of it all, the the point you're walking toward. You're gonna pass just a thin line between you and the very center of it, the, the symbolic heart of God. And thanks be to God for those moments in our own spiritual walk those moments when we haven't yet arrived yet. We haven't yet made it to the heart of God, to the fullness of God's purpose. We haven't yet stepped into heaven itself, but we've come so close, right? Those moments when we have felt God's presence right there as if we were on the verge of another world. It's those glimpses that make us well acquainted with another world. And God made the church so that all the world can have that experience. God made the church so that all the world could become acquainted with a different world. We believe that God has laid out the way for every single one of us, that God desires each and every person to come into the saving relationship, to walk with him, to answer the call that Christ gave again and again when he said, follow me. We believe that invitation and that call is for everyone. And we are here so that they can believe it's possible so that they can see a glimpse of that different world. And every time we take a new step, like in our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, our witness, the things we've been talking about this week or this month, we're taking another step towards the next scenic overlook. We're making our way to that next moment when we get a glimpse of it too and those things that keep us going. And we believe that we do these things, not because we're trying to earn something, but because we believe that through them, we are most likely to get a glimpse of heaven. Jesus said, When you clothe the naked and you feed the hungry, the reason you should do it is because you will see me. When you've done it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it unto me, Jesus said. 
Jesus said that when we gather in presence, whenever two or more are gathered in my name, there I am with you. It's a moment when heaven and earth overlap and we get a glimpse of the different world for which we were made. Jesus said that when we welcome strangers into our worship, through acts of service and extravagant hospitality. The book of James tells us that in those moments, we should do this because we may be entertaining angels unawares. Heaven and earth are coming together and we're getting a glimpse of the kingdom. And Jesus said that when we pray, we should go into our closet, shut the door, because our fa- and pray to our Father who is unseen because then our Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And Jesus told us to be generous with our finances so that we could store up treasures in heaven. Every one of these steps is about getting a glimpse, a touch point, a connection, a scenic overlook that reminds us of the different world for which we were made and that God is bringing into the world. We are acquainting ourselves with what heaven will be like. And one of the things that we know that heaven will be like is that it'll be the place where we see that all God's promises are true. That's what Moses needed to see. He'd been walking for 50 years with the people of Israel. Still hadn't yet made it to the promised land. So God brought him to the top of that mountain and gave him that spiritual sight that allowed him to see all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. And he says, this is all the land that I promised to you. I want you to see it. I want you to know it. Heaven is the place where God's promises come true. It's where every tear will be wiped away. It's where every hurt will be healed. It's where the dead will be resurrected, just as Jesus promised. Heaven is the place where all God's promises come true. Heaven is built on a foundation of God's faithfulness to God's own promises. And so the church, if it is to be a true sign of the kingdom, if it's to give a a faithless world a glimpse of a faithful God, has to be a place of faithfulness too. It's a place where we keep our promises to God and where we keep faith with one another. A faithless world needs a faithful church to become well acquainted with a faithful God. And so next Sunday, as we've been hinting toward and pointing toward for for weeks now, We're gonna have our commitment Sunday and some of y'all have heard from Curran Foos who gave us the challenge several weeks ago. He said that uh, this year our goal is for 100% of our active households to make a pledge, not just for finances, but for their prayers and their presence, their gifts and their service as well. Uh, We want to to say that we are a church where every single one of us is on the way, is walking in the steps of Jesus and taking the next step to be faithful to God's own promises and faithfulness to us. Our goal is for every single person to be able to take that next step, whatever it is, because we think these are the basic steps of discipleship. And every one of these steps, prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness, they're based on clear scriptural commands. If you want to, I can give you, you know, the the list of Bible verses that's behind each one of these, why we think these are marks of faithfulness. And if that's what you need to to say, okay, this is what God uh, is inviting me to do, then that's fine. If you need to to hear the command, then I'll share it with you. If you need to know the imperative, that's fine. If you need to say, I'm gonna do this because it's just the right thing to do. It's what I'm supposed to do. Well, that's fine. If you're doing it to to clear your conscience, there's some folks who tell you that's bad. I say God gave you that conscience for a reason. But I'll also tell you this. 
that God has promised us much more than a clear conscience. That God gave us forgiveness so that we don't have to constantly labor under that desire to somehow justify ourselves. God's promise is much bigger. God's promise is that when we walk in the footsteps of Jesus, as we keep going along the way, we don't just justify ourselves as if that were possible. No, we glimpse a better world, a different world, the world that we were made for. We begin to see the kingdom of heaven, and we begin to see the world as God sees it, and we see God's kingdom alive and at hand. Moses, remember, Moses didn't start seeing perfectly from the very beginning. 50 years of walking with God that enabled this moment on Mount Nebo. Moses started out as a stumble-tongued runaway and a murderer. When he first saw God there on a burning bush or in a burning bush and heard the call and began training his eyes to see what God see. And it was only after 50, 50 years later that he's able to stand on the top of Mount Nebo and see the vastness of God's grace. But think of all the things he saw along the way. How every single step that he followed God through that wilderness was bringing him to this moment where he saw why God had been with him all that time. When we walk with God, we begin to see bigger gifts, not just in the world, but even in ourselves than we ever imagined. And all this is really easy for me to say for some of you. In your own mind, you think, yeah, preacher, that's your job. You're supposed to tell us these things. That's why we made sure you didn't just hear from me or from Woods this week, this month. You've heard from so many witnesses. Heard from PJ, from Andrea and Parks this morning. You heard from Christopher Watkins about the joy of serving. You heard from our lay leader, Mark Davidson, about how it is that the giver has a greater need to give than any recipient has even to receive. That we have a need to give so we can be open to God's work. And in our, our other services, we've had even more testimonies. We've had other folks who, uh, they didn't hear from those in here and we didn't hear from theirs and those in there, Alan Farmer and Mark Birdie and, and all kinds of people telling the stories of how God has moved in their lives. Today, Jan Bailey's over there giving a, a witness about presence in the sanctuary. But we are surrounded by witnesses all over the place. And you've heard from them about prayers and presence and gifts and service. And every person who's spoken to you has been a witness. Because all that a witness is is somebody who tells what they've seen, tells what they know. Moses telling the people of Israel, this is what I've seen. We're surrounded by witnesses. And that's how this church runs. <laughs> on the strength of witness and disciples taking the next step. You know, between all our different committees and all the different teams and groups we have here, we have about 45 elected leaders in this church and we turn over a third of them every single year just as our way of saying that the vision of God does not belong to even just the pastors or a small group of people, but that it belongs to all of us. And it's not just leadership that works that way. It's our service if you checked out our Dolphin Way guidebook that we put out about a month ago, you saw in there that we have 38,000 staff hours every year devoted to the ministry of God. But that 38,000 staff hours is matched by 18,000 volunteer hours that we need every year to be able to give the witness and the hospitality and the sign of the kingdom to show people a moment of grace in their lives. It's astonishing what we accomplish together. It's the same in our giving. 
Last week we shared about our, our foundation pledge, which is always the first pledge. It's always the biggest gift we receive in any given year is the legacy gift of those who've gone before. And it's incredibly generous. We, we, we are a generous church Amen. full of generous people. But that one gift, that foundation gift that we receive each year, that accounts for 3.5% of our budget. The remaining 96.5 is through the faithfulness of those of us who are here and now who continue to give witness and to say this is where God is in our lives and this is the step we want to take. And a few people around you this morning have already made some of those, those pledges, those promises, those gifts. A couple folks have turned in their pledge early and uh, this last Tuesday I reissued an invitation to our leaders and said, we'd love for you to go ahead and make your pledge now so you can take the first step of all these other steps we're asking people to take. And we haven't done the math on the pledges that have come in. Some people were stopping me this morning to say, don't worry, pastor, uh, we got it in. It's there on your desk. But I can say that this morning, uh, we are already 18% of the way to our goal of every active household in the church taking part in a pledge. It's not about the amount. It's about everyone being in on it. By the way, 18% is a lot more than we have just in leadership. You've got a lot of people who've taken that first step for you. You're surrounded by witnesses. And since I asked other folks to take the first step, it's only fair that I do so too. So I, I wanted to make sure you knew I'm taking these steps too. And about the first step I'm taking in the year ahead. First step for me is always just to make sure I keep taking the steps I have before. Uh, as I looked over our commitment card and the places to serve and be, I, I, I'm, I'm still leading a small group, still giving above uh, a tithe, uh, still praying daily, and I, Lord willing, I'll do those things the rest of my life. Uh, went to training about a month ago so I can take my day at Meals on Wheels in the kitchen. I now have my food handler's permit. I'm ready to go. And I shared at the beginning of the month about some steps we're taking within our own staff. I'm so grateful to our SPRC, our staff parish committee, and other members of our staff who've uh, agreed to take on a few responsibilities I have had so that I can have more time in my week for visitation, uh, for going out, not just visiting in our hospitals and those in crisis need, but visitation uh, just in the everyday ordinariness of walking along the way, to know your heart and hear the witness that's in your life. Because I believe we are surrounded by witnesses. I want to hear what you've seen and what you're looking for. And I've committed myself to, making new, to taking new steps every week to seek out those conversations. Because I do believe the signs of the kingdom are all around us. We just have to learn how to see them. In the last 12 months, I want you to think about everything that we have seen. I can't even begin to name all of it, but here are a few of the things we've seen. We've seen 213 people keep the lights on and the water running in their house when they had nowhere else to turn because they showed up on our doorstep and the Society of St. Stephen said, people of Dauphin Way will help take care of you. Just this last week, a member from another church was at our pumpkin patch because they needed some decorations and the priest said at their uh, it was Orthodox church here in town said, make sure we go to Dauphin Way to get those pumpkins because we know what they do in our neighborhood. What an astonishing witness. In this last year, I've seen this church put Thanksgiving dinners on empty tables and Christmas presents under empty trees. I saw Kat Brand walk into the office two weeks ago and the first words out of her mouth were, every week we see new people on Sunday nights that I have never seen before. I've seen our choir this year 
Sing in the dark with no air conditioning in the sanctuary back in June. I wonder if any of y'all were there for their Americana concert. The power was out all over the neighborhood. They kept singing anyway. And then there in that concert, our congregation went in above and beyond in their giving so that we could make a contribution to putting a new roof on a sister church. Mm-hmm. Not to feather our own nest. I saw us. This seems like a lifetime ago, but it was just 10 months ago. It was just in January that we burned the note on every debt this congregation holds. I've seen 90 new people call this their church home and another 43 for the very first time make a vow to join it as a member and offer it their prayers, their presence, their gifts, their service, and their witness. That's 113 lives changed this year. And I see a glimpse of the kingdom every time God promises to meet us and we come forward looking for more. I see God's presence. I see the overlap of heaven and earth in the sacraments. And this year, I've done not one, but two baptisms during an active hurricane, two different active hurricanes. (laughs) And in every single one of those baptisms, I had in my mind the words from 1 Corinthians of Paul who said, if anyone is in Christ, there is the new creation. Look, the old is becoming new. Heaven and earth are overlapping. This is what the new creation looks like, the kingdom breaking in. This is the pearl of great price. This is the treasure that's buried in a field. And I would give anything to see that. And having seen all that, I want to see more. I want to see how abundantly God provides. I want to see the possibilities of the kingdom everywhere I turn, rather than seeing the limits of my own worries. And I want to see God in first place in every part of my life so that I see God reign in every part of the world around me. I want to see bigger things at work than other people dream possible. And above all, I want to see God making a difference in the world through the way I believe God intends to, by making new disciples at Dolphin Way. I want to see like Moses, all 12 decades of him, climbing all the way up the mountain just to get a glimpse of the promise that he's been waiting for. And I want to see what kind of difference our promises make. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.